you ever have the opportunity to learn from an expert, take it. Okay, I'm not your expert. But if you ever have the opportunity to learn from an expert, take it. Because today, we're going to get an opportunity to listen to an expert on a topic that is controversial, complicated, and stressful. Every one of us has to deal with it, and it's a topic that you can't ignore. If you're doing a series on the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that comes out of the Proverbs, you cannot sidestep this particular topic because it's everywhere. Every single chapter has Proverbs about this particular topic. Today, we're going to look at what the book of Proverbs and Solomon, the one who wrote and compiled most of the Proverbs, has to say about money. Talks about finances over and over and over and over and over again. I know some of you are already rolling your eyes going, the church just talks too much about money. I actually happen to believe we don't talk about money enough around here because if I get chided as a pastor about a topic that we tend not to talk about, it's this one. Now, I'm thankful for it because uh, people are unbelievably generous, and that's very, very good, but it doesn't mean we get to sidestep this particular topic. In fact, I want to remind you of something. Jesus talked more about your wallet than he talked about heaven or hell. That's a pretty big deal, right? You'd think at some point, God really wants us to get this. Now, confusion sets in when it comes to this topic because everybody's got an opinion, right? I mean, every single one of us has an opinion, and we all think we're right, You can find advice everywhere, books, TV shows, your uncle, insurance advisors, financial planners, late night infomercials. I mean, everybody's got a plan for your particular finances. And with all that advice out there, you'd think we'd have this thing nailed. I mean, there's so much talk about this particular topic, but here's the problem. The number one cause of divorce in this country is financial issues. If you are a normal human being here today, and you're between the ages of 28 and 34, if you're an average person, you're carrying approximately $30,000 in credit card debt. We can't step around this one. Young adults and families, they're way down under mountains of debt, student loans, people are overwhelmed, overburdened, full of anxiety, and it's all because of an inanimate object Most of us carry one. It's made out of leather, and it's filled with paper and plastic. And yet it freaks us out. This is where our expert weighs in. Solomon, the man that God used to write many of the Proverbs, was not only the wisest man in human history, he was also quite likely the richest. At the very beginning of this series, we talked about a moment when Solomon came to God. God said, you can have whatever you want to. And Solomon was wise enough not to ask for wealth, he asked for wisdom. And then God threw him a curveball and said, that's cool, because you asked for wisdom and not for wealth, I'm actually going to give you wealth on top of that, because I believe you're going to actually steward it the correct way. And history tells us Solomon was a smart financial guy. International trade was his game. He used Israel's strategic position to broker trade deals between Egypt and Asia, and he amassed a fortune. The Bible says this, the Bible says the weight of the gold, just the gold, okay, The gold tributes that were given to the king of Israel, the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Now, why they chose the number 666, I have no idea, okay? And don't like just put your brain over there into Revelation. That was next summer, or that was last summer, okay? But just so you know, 666 talents, that's 25 tons of gold. 25 tons of gold. Okay, last Wednesday, the price of gold was about $1,322 an ounce, which means this. Every single year, just in gold tribute, Solomon received $26 billion. 
Just so you have perspective on that, Bill Gates, the richest man in the world, has a gross fortune of $75 billion. Solomon took him in less than three years. Just to give you perspective. Okay? He's an expert. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, do I actually have the wisdom to listen to a financial expert talk to me, not only about the condition of my wallet, but the condition of my heart? Like, are we smart enough to listen or not? Okay? Here's the first fact about money. I'm going to give you some common sense financial wisdom all out of the book of Proverbs. First fact is this. Money can be good. Okay? Now, that's not a line you'd normally expect to hear on a Sunday morning, right? But it's true. Money can be good. I like food. Food is good. If I want food because I'm not a farmer, I have to go to the store and buy it, and I need something to buy it. I don't just get to walk in and walk out. If I do that, I get a visit from the Linden police, and it's not good for me, okay? I need money. I need money. Now, some of you are already arguing in your brain, I don't need money for anything. I'm going to hunt and fish and live off the land and eat the bark off of cedar trees. You know, it's just like, but the truth is you're not going to be able to do that legally in the state of Washington unless you buy a license. And guess what? You need to buy the license. Money. It's the way it works. Some of you are like, I'm going to raise cows and grow potatoes. You're going to need to buy food for those cows or feed at some level. What are you going to pay or what are you going to use to pay for the potato seeds? Good questions. Why? You want a roof over your head? You're going to need money close to where? It's not good, bad, right, or wrong. It's just the way it is. And money, when it's handled wisely, can be unbelievably good because it provides a lifestyle, okay? Proverbs brings up some of the benefits of having money. It says this, Proverbs chapter 10, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor, okay? So money can actually provide security and protection. Here's the problem with money. It provides security and protection. And some of us get all wrapped up in thinking that's my only security and that will be my protection. If that's you, can I remind you of what happened in 2008? An amazing thing happened. The markets crashed. Money in the, in the country went through the floor. And at the same time, I noticed something. As the markets were crashing, guess what was going through the roof? Church attendance. Why? Because suddenly we realize that all of our security and protection does not come from our wallet, even though our money has a little phrase on it. And what does it say? In God we trust. Oh. Money can provide security and protection. You need medical attention, you're probably going to need some money. That's the way it works. It's not bad. It can be good. Now, some of you are just like, but hold on, Grant. Uh, the Bible says money's the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. Scripture is absolutely clear that the love of money is the root of all evil. So when money goes from being a tool to an idol, then it's bad, absolutely bad, which brings us to our next point. Solomon teaches that money is dangerous, okay? Not that it can be dangerous, but that it is absolutely 100% all of the time has a danger potential attached to it. Let me tell you why. If you're not careful, your money will trick you into believing that that's all you need. As long as you've got a great 401k stock portfolio, as long as you have a retirement fund, as long as you have two cars in the garage and a home and a roof over top of your head, then you are secure and everything in your life is just perfect. Money will try and trick you into believing that if you just have that, then you're going to be content. Here's the problem. As soon as you have that, it's obsolete, right? You get your new iPhone 9 and what comes out three days later? 9.1. And it's frustrating. It's like, I had it for a second and now it's gone. It's fleeting. That's why Proverbs says this. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf 
with hatred. Money will try and convince you that you can have everything that you want, that it's available for a price. Here's the problem. You can't buy love. That, sh- that should be a song, right? Money can't buy you love. You can't buy peace. You can't buy harmony. You can't buy joy. Now, some of us have actually thought, yeah, I know, I can't buy it. But if I just had enough money, I'm pretty sure I could rent it from a, you know, on a day-to-day contract. That's how it would work. Money deceives us, so we chase it. And before long, rather than putting our trust in God, we're putting our trust in money because we actually think all that stuff is going to satisfy the hole in our soul. It's just so unbelievably sneaky, isn't it? It just kind of creeps in. It comes in through the cracks. You don't even realize that you've fallen prey to the deception until long after the fact. The Bible says this, Proverbs chapter 11. Now remember, this is a rich man speaking here. Proverbs says this, those who trust in their riches will fall. That's pretty blunt. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And that fall looks different for everybody, doesn't it? It's that falling moment when we realize that that we put all of our investment, all of our life into that job, and then suddenly you get a pink slip in a box, and you wonder why you've got such a crisis on your hand. For some, that fall looks like that awful sense of regret when you've squandered your life, chasing after money, and then you get to the end of it. You know what? I've been a pastor for 27 years. I have stood at more bedsides where someone is preparing to transition from this life into eternity. And you know what? Not a single person on their deathbed has ever asked me for their bank balance. Not a single one. You know who they want to talk to? They want to talk to their kids if they still have a relationship with them. That's a clue. You know, for others, it's just that unbelievable sense of what it feels like when greed hollows out your soul and you realize your whole life really does revolve around a piece of leather filled with paper and plastic. It's dangerous. And it's not just dangerous for those who have it. Do we understand that? It's not just dangerous for those who have it because a rich man can find trust in his wealth and in his wealth alone, and a poor man at the same time can be destroyed with envy and contempt for everything he doesn't have, because he's always wishing that he had more. Money's dangerous, and it's always going to try and trick us into thinking that if we pursue that, that that's what life is all about. But it's not, which leads us to point number three. Solomon would say this, guys, 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 money won't last forever. It won't last forever. You've probably heard this before, right? You never see an armored car following a hearse. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to take it with you. That's why Proverbs 23 says this. Listen to the warning from this this unbelievably wealthy man. He says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist or to stop doing that. When your eyes light on it, it's gone for suddenly it sprouts wings and flies away like an eagle toward heaven. Solomon's saying, why invest your entire life chasing something that's only going to last for such a tiny little piece of history? Okay, Francis Chan is a great guy. I'm going to steal one of his illustrations, all right? Let's pretend this rope is eternity, and it goes on forever and ever and ever out the far side of the stage as far to the east as it possibly can until it wraps all the way around the earth, then heads off to Mars, wraps around Mars, and then keeps on going infinitely to the end. Okay, this is eternity, and this tiny little black section right here, this represents your life as a part of eternity. This teeny little piece. Now, I want to remind you of something. This is not all the rope. 
Because Jesus is everywhere, omnipresent, and eternal. If there was a rope going the other direction, that would go infinitely as far that way. That would actually be eternity. That's all Jesus. And this is our little tiny piece. Now, on my little black piece of tape here, which represents our life, is a tiny little white dot. And it's so small, it's, you can't even see it. I want to tell you something about that dot. That's the lifespan of your car. And if you drive certain brands, it's a smaller dot than the rest of it. Okay, I'm just saying. But I'm not going to name them. Not going to name them. All right? Just saying. Why are so many of us obsessed with that little white dot? Just asking. You polish it and you should. Because all vehicles are meant to be clean 100% of the time. That's my OCD speaking, sorry. (laughs) You look after it, you nurture it, you baby it, you make sure that the mechanic takes good care of it, and whenever it is, and yet we are absolutely obsessed, and yet Solomon asks a question. He goes, why are you obsessed with that teeny little dot? When this is the existence that God has brought before you. Why are you going to obsess with this, when all of this is still waiting in front of you, and someday you're going to get an opportunity to live in eternity with him. I don't think when you get to heaven, you're going to be talking about the brand of vehicle you drove while you were here. But boy, are we stuck in that mentality, aren't we? Let's keep on moving. Does it make any sense that we spend all of our time and our energy on something that isn't even going to last? The Bible says that there are two things that are eternal, the word of God and people. That should be a clue for all of us. Let's move on to number four. This is what Solomon would scream to all of us. Guys, money is no substitute for God. It's no substitute for God. Solomon writes this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. You know, I have met people who have nothing, and yet they have everything. Has anybody met anybody like that before? I've gone to third world countries. I've met people who have, who have one shirt, one set of pants, and yet they have this unbelievable joy that just bubbles out of them. Some of you are going to experience that, especially if you're going to Kenya and Tanzania. You're just going to see a different, simple approach to life, and yet they're filled with joy. And yet I also met people who have everything, and they've got absolutely nothing. Why? Because they don't have Jesus. Because they don't have Jesus. You know, Solomon's a wealthy man, but he had two loves that led to his downfall. Lust for women and lust for money. And all you need to do is read your scripture to find out that that's true. And somewhere along the way, Solomon's heart changed. He substituted in God we trust for in my portfolio, in my wallet. That's where I put my trust. And one day as he's growing old, he spends a little time reflecting on his life and all of the stuff and all of the gold and all of the money that he's acquired. And he grabs a pen and he writes down these words from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now, remember who this guy is talking from. 26 tons of gold every single year. And he gets to the end of his life, and here's what he says. Oh, how I prospered. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse. I held nothing back. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done. I looked at all the sweat and hard work. But when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. It was all smoke and spitting in the wind. There was nothing to any of it, absolutely nothing, and I hate my life. 
That's what Solomon wrote at the end of his life. He thought it all would satisfy him, but it didn't. That's a pretty deep indictment of a lifetime, isn't it? Smoke and spitting in the wind. In another place in Scripture, Solomon writes these words, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Well, we have all know people like that, right? Some of us are those people, right? We're just never satisfied. I just need a little bit more. Because if I had a little bit more, I could have more security and protection. And God keeps screaming at us, you're putting your security and protection in the wrong stuff. That's why scripture says this, Hebrews chapter 13, keep your lives free from the love of money, be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be uh, afraid. Solomon just keeps saying, guys, you can't love them both, you can't serve them both. One has to eclipse the other, otherwise one of them is an idol, that's just the way that it works. And all of us works. You know, some of us are under the grand illusion. Oh, actually, let's call it a grand delusion. That we actually work for a corporation. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't work for a corporation. You work for your king. Which means you should be the hardest working person because you're one of those people that's absolutely obsessed with the idea, I never want money to get in the way of my relationship with my God. In a little bit of time that we've got left, we're going to take a look at some practical wisdom. Because Solomon just starts talking here. He's like, okay, let me, just, let me just shoot straight. Let me just shoot straight. I'm going to lay it out for you. And I'm going to tell you how the wise handle money. Now, he was writing this in the golden age of when he was actually doing it right. He had his priorities right, and he was moving in the right direction. Okay? And here's what he says. This is how the wise handle money. Number one, they work for it. Okay? They don't wish for it. Can I get an amen on that? They don't wish for it. They work for it. They don't lay around all day, mooching off of friends and parents. They don't bank on winning the lottery. They think, that's someday, boy, my ticket's going to come in. They actually work for it. Now, please, please hear me on this. I know that there are exceptions. There are people in this room who are on disability, not out of their own choice. And so their income is, is fixed right now. We have some folks here who are retired. They're elderly. Some of us, I think, retire way too early. By the way, officially, there's no retiring from the family of God ever. Ever. If you think you're going to cruise your whole life, wants to be about a golf cart? Really? Okay. Okay. Let's keep that eternal perspective. It's important. I know some amazing people here, single moms and single dads who right now are going to school. Some of them have two or three children and they, and they can't do a job right now. There's a huge difference and Solomon points this out. There's a huge difference between can't work and won't work. Huge difference between the two. But let's say for the most of us, Solomon's principle is this, honest work is the wise way to get money. An honest day's pay for an honest day's work. And Proverbs has a lot to say about this one, but one particular verse states it pretty clear. Proverbs 12, verse 11, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies, they've got no sense at all. It's pretty blunt, right? It's not about chasing an idea all of the time, even though great ideas and concepts come out of thinking but at some point, it's got to be applied to straight out work. 
Let's move on. Solomon says this. This is how wise people handle their money. Number two, they save it. Proverbs 21.20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools just gulp theirs down. That's pretty blunt. So that means this. When the wise get a paycheck, they save some of it. doesn't matter if it's a six-figure paycheck or a three-figure paycheck. doesn't matter whether you're getting it from a corporation or whether you're getting your monthly allowance. Wise people set aside some because they know life is not perfect and I might need the wisdom of having a little bit of a buffer. On the other side of that proverb, it talks about a contrast. Fools, on the other hand, I didn't call them fools. Solomon did, but I agree with him. Fools, on the other hand, they spend it all because they got to have that phone. They got to have the brand name clothing, not this other kind. They got to put their kids in every single expensive sport just because that's what all the other parents do, not dissing sports. It's just like, can you afford it? The wives, they realize something. Sometimes you just got to say no, even if you want it really, really bad. They know they can save. And that's the difference. Wisdom says, I've got to ask the question. Do I really, really need this? A fool walks in the door and says, I don't care what I need. What I know is I need that 72-inch plasma right there, and I got a piece of plastic, and all I got to do is slide and walk away or insert the chip, stand there for about a minute and a half, (laughs) and then walk away, right? Fools, all they see is what they need. They've got this voracious appetite. They see dollar signs. Wise people say, oh, hold on hold on. Let's ask some questions before we move ahead. Let's keep going. How do wise people handle their money? They honor God in the way they spend it. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. And just in case you are wondering, even though you feel unbelievably poor today, depending on your circumstance, you are among, according to last week's statistics, the people sitting in this room are among the 97th percentile of the richest people on the face of the planet. So let's be careful who we compare ourselves to when we talk about rich and poor. Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. This proverb embodies the wisdom of tithing, okay? It's an ancient practice that we still use today as a great benchmark. It's a great place to start. And it basically works like this. It's not complex, it's pretty simple. For every $10 that God gives you, And some of you are just like, God didn't give me anything. I earned it all. Really? Whose hands are you using? Did you make those yourself? I created my own company. Really? With what brain? Did you make that brain yourself? Or is that on that that breath that you just took in your lungs? Did you manufacture that all by yourself? How about the air that you just went in, carbon dioxide back out again? Who, who, Who gave you that? All comes from one source. For every $10 that God gives you the ability to earn, you give one back to Him. That's the principle of tithing. Now, some of you are just right away, Grant, do you do that? Do you practice what you preach? Can I be honest with you? For the first nine years of my ministry, I didn't. I thought God had everything else in my life. But when it came to that little piece of leather filled with paper and plastic, I'm just, God, you've got all my time. You've got all the other stuff like that. You need to keep your grubby hands off my wallet. And I could never figure out why we were always coming up short. I'll tell you why. Pure, simple disobedience. I'll confess that to you. 
first nine years of our ministry. And then God sent a wise man to me. His name was Alan Brim. And Alan sat down with me one day and he said, Grant, I want you to know something. I'm not disappointed that you're not tithing. Here's what I'm disappointed in. I'm disappointing in the fact that you're cheating God out of an opportunity to have him prove to you that when God makes a promise, he'll keep it. So we changed. I changed. Laurel always been a, she's a, she's a generous, joyful giver. She just loves that kind of stuff. I'm on the other side of the scale. For me, it's a discipline. But this thing is very simple. It's called the first fruits, which means for every 10 he gives you, you give one of them back. It's as simple as that. Now, I've got a friend. He actually doesn't have a church context at all, and he loves it. He goes, you're, what, what, tell me the next time you're going to talk about that tithing thing. He goes, I love that tithing thing that you do. He goes, it's just crazy. He said, I want to find out if you're still consistent. He goes, so let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Okay, so your church pays your salary, and then you take a 10% cut right off the top and give it right back? Like, yeah, he goes, that's crazy. I'm just like, no, that's wise. Because God's 10 is still bigger than my 90. Can I get an amen? It's just true. You know, we don't have enough time today to talk about investments and debt and mortgages and insurance and all that other kind of stuff. All I can say is this. If you truly seek to honor God with the money he gives you, you're going to make right decisions. So I'm going to challenge you to do something. Next time you get your paycheck, ask this question. God, how can I spend this in a way that honors you? Paul Tripp puts it this way. He goes, the the big question of money is never can I afford it. But that's the question we always ask, right? It's never that I can afford it. It's always, how can I invest in what I've been given in a way that gives honor to the one who entrusted it to me? We don't own anything. We are simply stewards. And we get this much time to steward it well because everything else on both sides belongs to Christ the King. Here's the last one. Solomon would say this. If you want to really get it, the wise generously just give it away. Not reluctantly, not hesitantly, not begrudgingly, they give it away. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 9 says, The generous will will themselves be blessed, for they share food with the poor. Now I know we've always got some cynics in the room, always, always, always. It's like, okay Grant, why don't you just get to it? Because I know you're going to ask us for something. You've got some project, you've got something going on. I don't want to put words in Solomon's mouth. And I don't want to make this between me and you because I don't have anything to do with this. Someday, God's going to simply line up Laurel and I and say, so I, steward, I, g- I gave you some gifts. I want to know how you stewarded them. I'm not going to be on your committee. You're not going to be on mine. Like I said last week, the Trinity is not a quartet. God does not need your help. And I'm going to answer for that particular stewardship. But I want you to know this. I'm not making this stuff up. This is Solomon speaking. Proverbs 11:25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs 21, verse 25, the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work and all day long he craves for more but the righteous give without sparing. Proverbs 28, 27, and this is just a few of them. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. Wise people own their finances. Their finances don't own wise people. So as we get ready to wrap this up, because I'm seeing the fans are coming out, and believe me, I, am, I need a new shirt. This is horrible. So this is my wallet. It's also my phone carrier, but it's my, it's my wallet. 
piece of leather filled with paper and plastic. I'd love to tell you that it doesn't own me, but there are times when it does. So the other day, I'm, I'm going to make some purchases for the church. I do have a church credit card, just so you know. It's highly, highly regulated and highly legislated by our finance department. Not a penny goes unaccounted for around this place. That's just the way it is. We've got rules to govern. Nobody has freedom around here. I mean, it's just we have a process because we want to protect your sacred trust. Because every dime that we use here comes from you guys. That's how it works. So I'm buying some supplies show up at the desk, you know, I got to till the young ladies on the other side, put down the credit card to buy the supplies. You know, I had my PO paperwork filled out, for those of you that are in my finance department, my PO, PO paperwork was done, and so I get that out, so I go there and I purchase it, and I lay it down there, and the girl takes it, and she looks at the card, and she goes, wow, you're just a little full of yourself, aren't you? I'm like, excuse me? She goes, you're just a little full of yourself. I'm like, Why? She goes, the credit card says, Grant Fishbook, Christ the King. <laughs> I'll show it to you right there. <laughs> We're going to get that changed. <laughs> so I explained to her, who I was, what I did for a living, and she's like, yeah, yeah, sure, that's good, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I walked away from the till, and God asked me the same question. You just a little full of yourself, Grant? Because this is not you, but sometimes you act like it. Everything you have was mine first, and I gave it to you as a gift. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Wise people don't leave him out of it. They welcome him into it. She's saying, so Grant, what's the deal? On your way home today, you probably need to have a conversation with Jesus. Because it's the family of God. We all, we, we all need to answer this, right? Are, 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 we, are we claiming, oh, I'm a follower of Christ. Look at all these great things that I do. What about this? Because I found in my experience to be this. This is the last piece that gets surrendered. Because it's the hardest. And God would say, are, are you going to take a flyer on this one? Are you going to just sidestep everything that I've said? Are you going to completely disregard everything that Solomon had ever said, even though he's an expert in this particular area? Because if you do, and you have the right to do that, at the end of your life, I wonder if you're going to have the same commentary that Solomon did. It's, it's just smoke spitting in the wind. May we be the kind of people that passionately follow Jesus with every word and every action, and every thought, and every piece of leather filled with paper and plastic. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, th this stuff is not easy. It never is. And yet we have your truth to hold on to, and I thank you for Solomon's passion. God, he, he, he got it wrong, then he got it right. 
So Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray that we would get it right so we don't get it wrong. Lord, may we remember that little piece of tape, such a small little snapshot of eternity. God, may our lives be filled with investing in eternity, the Word of God and people. So Lord Jesus, thank you for a moment to just have some tough, honest talk. I pray in Jesus' name that what we decide to do would bring honor and glory to you as we seek out simple wisdom in a very complicated world. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen.